What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris. Thank you for choosing to tune in today. Hey, folks, Jamie and I are continuing this conversation. How do we stay grounded in a world full of noise and chaos? There's plenty of things that are going to distract us from staying grounded, from, from sticking to our foundations. And we're hoping as we bring different guests on that it creates a space and a time for you to reflect, what are your foundations? You might agree or disagree with the guests. That's not the point. The point is you taking the time to assess what are the foundations foundations in your life that help you stay grounded. Today, I'm going to be bringing on a high school buddy of mine that's gone on and done some remarkable things in life, Bobby Clark. Boy, I was sitting there thinking how to define him, and there's I, I realized there was a common theme. He He's a, a man of faith. Uh, he's serious about fatherhood. If you check him out on Facebook, you'll know that he's serious about fitness. The man is an athletic specimen, and he's a firefighter. And I know, I know the whole fight between police and fire and how we don't like each other. And I'm just joking. At least here on the West Coast, we get along really good with each other. We both depend on each other on serious calls. Bobby and I got into some serious talk. Uh, we we waded into some really heavy subjects, and I was really impressed by listening to just what he has going on in life. So uh, I'm excited to get into this, but before we do that, folks, you know what I want to talk about first. Service Peace Warriors. Service Peace Warriors is a 501c3 nonprofit that's dedicated to our nation's heroes. That's right, the men and women that are returning with war-related mental or physical injuries. Service Peace Warriors has their back. They're raising all the money. They're training up both the service animal and the veteran, and they're equipping the veteran with the healing power of a service animal. If you haven't looked at them yet, folks, I, I hope you will check them out. Service Peace Warriors. O-R-G. With that, folks, let's get into this interview with Bobby Clark. Bobby Clark, welcome to the Gravity Podcast. Hey, Chris, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, brother. We This is a long time coming. You and I talked about this like a year ago, I think. We did, we did. And then I snuck your brother in for a little bit, and now finally you and I materialize this, so I'm super pumped about us being able to carve out the time to talk. Yeah, hey, definitely. Hey, brother, if you could just introduce yourself to my listeners. Okay. Um, I'm Bobby Clark, as you as you introduced me. Um, I'm a full-time firefighter paramedic. I've been doing that since, officially since 2003. I got about probably five to 10 more years left in me of doing that. We'll see. We'll see where we'll see where it goes. But um, other than that, I did eight years in the Marine Corps. I think the last time you probably remember me was was in high school, and in '97 we graduated. I was I was set to go into the Marine Corps right off the bat, but I decided to do track and field my senior year just to stay in shape, and um, I ended up tearing my ACL doing pole vault, and um, I had to wait two years get my knee reconstructed, do all that. Worked over at Boise Cascade if you're familiar with that that, that lumberyard, paper mill which from my understanding is close now, but, but yeah, I worked out there for two years, went, went ahead and um, made it into the Marine Corps. Eventually uh, active duty did, did eight years. I did the first four as a combat engineer. This was during 99 to 2007. I didn't see any combat. 
And then after four years as a comm engineer, I did, I said, you know what, I'm, I want to do something real. You know, that's kind of one of those things that has always driven me is I, I wanted to do, I just want to do something real and make a difference. And so I said, you know, I'm going to do something real. I was on the rifle range with a guy and he said that he was a firefighter in the Marine Corps. And this is, you know, early 2003. And I'm like, a firefighter in the Marine Corps? We, you know, we got firefighters? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Told me all about crash fire rescue. So I ended up, um, what's called the Marine Corps, called lap moving. Lap moving into crash fire rescue. Went through the academy, did all that in Texas. Ended up in Okinawa. And um, when I was in Okinawa, you know, doing that job, saw pretty, I say a couple pretty good crashes. You know, I don't know if you call them good, but I got some experience, saw some real stuff. But that's really when life kind of took a turn for me. Met a girl. We got pregnant. So, you know, I'm a young kid and I got to do the right thing. And so I was like, well, she's a Navy girl. I was a Marine Corps, Marine Corps guy. You know, I was like, well, we're going to get married. You know, so we got married and um, made it back to the States and realized that we should not have married each other. <laughs> Neither one of us were ready for marriage. We're doing what, what young people do anyway. Um, we ended up, um, you know, going our separate ways. Um, I kept my daughter. She stayed in the Navy. I got myself out of the Marine Corps, basically. At that point, I did two more years and, and then got out. And then um, that's about the time that I met my my uh, my current wife, and um, she had two from her previous. I had the one, so we started a you know little Brady Buck family thing, and that's really kind of where life went. I was a firefighter doing that thing, firefighter paramedic, and um, you know, fast forward to now, we are. And this is this is where everything really kind of takes takes another another sharp turn. Um, unfortunately. Not everybody's meant to be together. So, you know, we're experiencing divorce at this current moment. And that's that's where we're at. And in a nutshell, that's I mean, with there's a lot of details that are obviously inside that whole story. But uh, you could say that's it. There's some accomplishments. There's some successes. There's some failures. There's a lot of life lessons. And I'm and I'm I'm pretty sure we'll talk about some of those things because um, I know you've got some things in your life that um, that that we can relate with just in past conversation that uh, you and I have had. So. Yeah, well, this is what I love about you, brother. Is I mean, you could wait until uh, a different time to to come on here and tell your story. But I mean, the reality is, is I don't know of a time that just everything's perfect, right? That's that's life. Life has its challenges, and about every Jamie and I have a friend that that gave us this analogy, and she said uh, her opinion is there's three seasons of life, if you will. Uh, you're either preparing to go through a storm, going through a storm, or coming out of the storm, which may sound pessimistic, but I don't think it is. I think it's actually very optimistic. But two of two of those three seasons, you're not in the storm, right? You're you're in this 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 other part of life, and uh, that's as I look back over the last, specifically over the last 13 years, I feel like that's kind of been Jamie and my story. So, uh, so let's get into that. So you and I, yeah, we were in high school together, ran track. You, I think you wrestled as well, if I remember correctly. I did. I did. That was, that was my thing. I think, were you and I in the four by one together at all? Or did you just pull? Uh, I probably did it. Uh, I did a couple different events. Just, just, he just, I was just thrown into the events because I could run fast and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I was in any real event. I did it. The only one I was really committed to was pole vault because that was just, it was a blast. That was your thing. Yeah. Which I think is like you, you have a certain amount of lunacy in you. Then that means because you're trying to throw yourself high up in the air and hoping that you yeah land, yeah you yeah land you're tossing on, yourself about 15 on the big feet in the air. <laughs> hey, uh, you know my experience. I was Air Force cop, and my experience between Air Force and civilian, and it's not to take away anything from uh, our our military brothers and sisters. They do remarkable work, 
but the frequency of the emergencies of the life and death emergencies was a lot less frequent in the military for me than it was in the civilian sector. Is that the same for, for fire EMS or, or was it the same ops tempo? Um, certainly, but it, you know, it all kind of all depends on where you're at too. There's some bases that are, that are busier than others. One thing about the fire service is uh, at least in the, in the Marine Corps, my experience, that's the only fire service I've done for the military side was, uh, there's a there's a civilian side and there's a military side and, typically, and you experience that too in the Air Force where they where they work together, depending on the base you're at and also also depending on the the nature of the, the jobs that you're responsible to do. So what tasks are you responsible to do? Are you just structure? Are you crash fire rescue, which is aircraft rescue and firefighting? What what are you tasked to do? And um, that really kind of dictates it. What the difference that I noticed between fire and police is. We're outside the gates most on most bases. And so we're not just serving the base, we're also serving the community. So we're either in some sort of an auto aid agreement or a mutual aid agreement. It will always be a mutual aid agreement, but in a lot of situations, it's an auto aid agreement. So depending on the base you're at, you kind of dictate your call volume. Yeah. So now are you still part of a, a, a that type of setup to where you're serving both a as a civilian, both a military and a civilian community, or is it just civilian fire rescue that you do now? So right now it's it's I'm working on the Marine Corps installation in Albany, Georgia. That's where I'm working. So we work we work we work on an auto aid agreement. So we're not I'm sorry a mutual aid agreement, not an auto aid agreement. So we're not getting banged out for structure fires and car wrecks. You know as as they happen in a specific region of the city, uh, we're auto aid. So as needed they'll they'll contact us, and as needed we'll contact them for to support us. Okay, what has that is that was that fire service. Do you really feel like that kind of, you still feel that same brotherhood that you experienced in the Marine Corps and that you experience now in the, in the Air Force Reserve? Oh, certainly. So, and, and, and you can, and you can relate with this. So when you're doing things where you're risking your life, where you're trusting someone else to, to get, help you get through, you know, accomplish a mission where either one of you may or may not make it through. But really, when you're just dealing with life that's on the very fringe of, you know, of, tr- of transition, whether there's there is life, there's a potential for life and there's a potential for death. When you're exercising and working on that, you know, in that area of um, of reality, you tend to build and it's and it's you, I don't think you can avoid it. You build a bond with people. There's people you don't like, for sure. There's people you're not going to get along with. But at that same time, you're still building the, that level of trust both in your training and both in your experience that, um, and, and that bond where it, it's kind of like where you, you know, you can pick on your brother, but they can't pick on your brother because they're not your brother kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's kind of that relationship. And so, yeah, most certainly it's that what you, what we had in the Marine Corps, what I had in the Marine Corps is the same exact same thing as that you have in the fire service. I mean, you cry together, you laugh together, you drink together, you party together, you, you sleep and we're, I, I live 50% of my life with these guys. You know what I mean? I, I'm with these guys just as often as I'm with my children. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's a family, whether you like it or not, it's a family. And, um, you know, it's, it's those bonds that exist, you know, that are, it's inevitable. Yeah. What has that experience been like? My, like, kind of like you referenced, I went through a pretty tough season back in 2010, uh, being both a child crime detective, investigating death scenes, and and there was a bunch of other factors too, with just uh, not setting good boundaries in life, being way too busy. And eventually I experienced an anxiety disorder. Ha- have you experienced kind of that weightiness of, of this job? 
Oh, sure. Um, and, and I'll say this, anybody that says that they have it, they're not, they're either not being honest with you or they're not being honest with themselves or, or both. Most certainly. And what I've noticed is in both with myself and in most of the people that I, that I've talked, that I talked to, it's almost always children. Those are the calls that, that rock you. Like the, for me, one of the, one of the main calls that, and it still sticks with me. I remember it I mean, vividly. There was a, it was a, I had, I had a three-year-old. So it was immediately, you know, related. It was a three-year-old girl, you know, and she, when I got on scene, she was under the tire of a truck. You know, she got, she had got run over, still alive, still screaming, doing all that. And I'm like, and I was basically a brand new paramedic. This was one of my first calls where I got released to run the truck, you know, as the lead medic without another experienced medic, medic there. And so I'm on scene um, with, with my EMT engine, engines on scene with four more EMTs. And they're looking at me like, Bobby, what do we do? And so from that point, you got to kind of make calls. Long story short, she survived the incident, but she didn't survive much longer than a year after that. And so both the, the smells, the sights, the, you know, all the senses that you experience in those, in those heightened moments, they stick. And then when you experience those later on in life, whether it be like for me, and I, and I kind of, I trace this back to, or I, I noticed something in myself. So this is when we're talking about trauma now. I noticed in, and I, I, I did mention that we raised, my wife and I, we've, we've raised six kids, basically. Three are out of grown and out of the house. We got three still in the house. When it came to babies crying, my baby's crying. When it came to babies crying, I noticed it was, there was an irresistible urge for me to help that baby stop crying. And for me, it was, and it was, I mean, I would not sleep at night I, either way. Um, I'd get up and I'd hold, hold whichever child it was. I'd hold, hold him or her until they stopped crying and soothe them until they stopped crying. And then go back to bed, very light sleep or never could sleep over the years because of that. And I attribute it, I don't, I recall as I trace back and I think through it to that incident where that because i can still hear her crying you know from uh, from under the under that truck and so yeah you there there's those calls that stick um that never go away those those sensations those that you feel both tactfully that tactfully feel or hear or smell or you know that have those the senses that 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 you experience in those events yeah most certainly they they will always be there now how you deal with that's you know is where you can, I guess, start to demonstrate your ability to have some level of resilience and and, um, and and growth. What meaning do you give it or do you allow it to give it meaningful to you? You know what I mean? Yeah. What, what are some of those things? I think that's, that's something that can benefit listeners because whether people are in the fire service, military law enforcement, trauma and loss mm-hmm. is, is a common common experience for us as humans. I think within the fire service, military and law enforcement, sometimes we see it at a much greater uh, frequency and that's why it has a such an impact on us but what are some of those things i mean i, I kind of i think i know some of them just from watching you on social media and mm-hmm. and, and whatnot what are some of those things that help you be resilient that help you process the trauma so i like the storm analogy that you gave and so we can kind of use that so you said there's the three seasons there's the, what's leading up to the storm the storm and then after the storm the ability to stand back prior to the storm happening and and I'm not going to say be able to anticipate what you're going to experience the storm but be able to be prepared to experience the storm in my opinion is beginning the beginning of resilience and so I like to think of resilience as kind of like a uh, it's like a toolbox it's your toolbox it's the tools that you have in order to because resilience the word is uh 
what is a, a resilier is the Latin root word for it. And it means, and this is what I think is funny too, because we always talk about, don't worry, you'll bounce back from this. You'll bounce back from this. Resilier means bounce. And so when, when most people think of resilience, they think, they usually think of the idea of just getting through a traumatic event, getting through, you know, without, with, you know, basically unchanged. But in reality is there's no, you can't experience trauma and not be changed. You just can't. You're either going to be either going to be, I hate to say, less of a person or or more of a person. So it's either going to cripple you or you're going to or you're going to overcome it. And I like the idea of bouncing through it. So bouncing forward through it. And so to me, resilience is the tools that you bring into into in preparation of trauma to overcome it and then come out on the other end, a better person, more resilient, because the more you practice resilience, the better you get at resilience. So basically, what are you saying? That what am I saying is, the more trauma you experience, and the more prepared you are to experience trauma, the more you can experience. It's like it's like working out. You don't go into the gym and don't push and, and only push hard enough just until it hurts and stop, and then make progress. You're never going to make progress. You've got to hurt. You've got to push through the pain. And you've got to break down the muscle. And then you make, and then you get through the recovery phase, and then you've made progress. Yeah, it's no different with 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 emotional trauma or mental trauma. You've got to be able to get through that pain, experience that pain without it crippling you, and then you come out stronger on the other end. That makes sense, and I like that. I really like that that storm analogy. That's 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 a really good way to kind of approach it. I think. I know that fitness is definitely one of your tenets, one of the things that you use, just because, again, I know who you are, you look it, and then I, I see you practicing it on a regular basis. Uh, what else outside of fitness helps you with this uh, preparation and, and just being more prepared to deal with what you see at work? Sure, sure. So it's like, so I said, it's like, it's like tools. So I got the, I had the opportunity when I went through, um, uh, when I came into the, to the, to the air guard. I came into the to the chaplain service. That was I. I had the the urge or the drive, and I didn't know if it was me or I didn't know if it was if it was a calling to consider the um, becoming a cha- military chaplain. I had ten years of service break when I got out in two thousand and seven from the Marine Corps. I didn't go back in until twenty seventeen into the Air Guard, and in those ten years, that's really when I dove and discovered my own faith, and I understood that, and, and I became. I say I became, I believe I was always a Christian, but I really discovered my faith as a Christian. And I learned, you know, I'm a, I'm a learner. I like to read. I dive in. When I when I find an interest in something or something attracts me, I dive in both feet. That's just my personality. And I dive in. I do all the research. I do all the reading. I know all the facts. And so I like to, I like to educate myself and experience what it is that I'm doing. And that way I can have a good conversation with people that are, you know, at whatever level of, of what, at whatever the situation is. But I felt a calling to serve still in the military, but I also felt a calling to do more. I taught at the time I was teaching um, religious education for like grade school kids. And so I, my wife finally gave me the green light. Initially, she was like, no, you're not going into the mil- back in the military and leave me with all these damn kids. That's what, that's what she told me. <laughs> and so I did for 10 years. Um, eventually, she relented and she said that, you know, you can do it. Just make sure you do something that's not going to have you deployed doing crazy things. So I was like, you know, I think this is, I think this is something that I want to do as a chaplain. And so I said, you know what, let me just go enlisted. Let me see. Let me see if this is me or let me see if this is actually calling. So I went into 2017, went into the chaplain's office. And I say all that to say this. 
I was given the opportunity to participate in two units of CPE. CPE is clinical pastoral education. You have to have four full units in order to be a board certified chaplain. I was able to do two without, you know, cost free, two units. And that was a transformational experience. Just the, the way that that education is delivered um, and how you how you participate in it is extremely transformative. Um, it teaches you really the power of journaling and writing and self-reflection, introspection, all of these things. But in doing that, there was an acronym that I learned. And it's a really powerful way to help people uh, when they're experiencing the, you know, the throes of trauma, how to, how to basically how to experience them in a healthy way. And the acronym is TEARS. And so the first part is talking like we're doing, simply just talking. Because what we're talking about is, is, is that the weight of, of trauma, it's energy. And if you hold on to it, if you try to bury it, it's not going anywhere. You need to express it. And so talking is one of the first and most powerful ways to really push through that barrier. So you talk. Some people aren't talkers, though. So there's other options. Exercise. For me, um, and I know for my twin brother, because him and I have had this conversation, running is therapy. It is. You, can, you just get out there. You get it in your own mind. You get in the zone. Um, the, the Just the very active contracting muscles releases certain molecules within the body that, that they're called, they call it the hope molecule. And so just doing something like that and then oxygen and the endorphins and you know that, all of that. So exercise is another really powerful way to help process trauma. And it is a process because you have to integrate that trauma. The way trauma kind of works on a side note, it kind of takes a low road, whereas everything else that you can process with a story takes the high road. The low road basically goes straight into the limbic part of the brain. That's why you remember those those sensations, the smells, the the taste, the sounds, all those things. And that's because your body's gonna it, they use those. The body uses that as a trigger for survival. So it knows, oh, when this happens again, when I sense this again, there's danger, and you go into survival mode. And those are those traumatic responses. So back to the point. So talking, exercise, artistic expression. You know, we have these phenomenal musicians. Most of them have some fairly traumatic upbringings and some life stories and usually the ones that have the, the best that put the best music out the ones that you can really feel those are the ones that have most of the trauma that they grew up in life and that's why their music is so good and you can feel it because it's real you know what i mean and the next one is uh, the r is rest you know we we have to rest just like in fitness we can go out there pound our body pound our body pound our body that's stress that's trauma but what do we have to do to make that progress you got to have that rest. Well, the brain and the emotions and all that, it's the same thing. You still have to have that rest. And the last one, this is usually the one that kind of throws people off, sobbing. A full body cry. I'm sure you've done it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm more than man enough to admit that I've had plenty of sobbing experiences. And when you're in it, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's consuming. But when you're done, you're exhausted, but you feel better. Yes, and that. It is. And, and you can induce it, especially when and if you are really going through something and you just let those thoughts kind of go and you kind of find yourself a safe place to be and um, you just let it go. And that is a really good way to process that trauma and get through it. So that's the acronym's tears for, you know, for everybody who wants to write those down and remember those very powerful, powerful tools. I was writing it down as you were saying it. And I, I think of those and I couldn't agree with it more. And I, I think about what I wasn't doing leading up in 2010 when I had those first major anxiety attacks I wasn't talking about it uh, no. I was on the SWAT team and I wasn't exercising near as much as I should have been my fitness was going down because I was so busy I didn't have time since mm -hmm. I, since I didn't have time I wasn't sleeping at all right certainly wasn't crying about anything 
and artistic. I don't even think I had any hobbies. So I think when my counselor first said, what are your hobbies? And I (laughs) named like three or four. She's like, well, when was the last time you did those? Who has time for hobbies? So I, <laughs> who has time for that? <laughs> I love that. Uh, there, there's two of them though. Like the exercise, that's easy for us as guys. You, yeah. you're a Marine. I mean, you're an airman now, but exercise, that's, that's the cool stuff. Even being artistic, if you have some kind of cool skill, people like to see that people like to listen to it, whatever. Uh, everyone likes a good rest, but I feel like that first one and that last one are not ones that tr- traditionally come easy for us as dudes talking about it and just having a good cry Mm -hmm. what have you seen yeah i mean like how much resistance have you seen from your brothers and sisters whether it be in the marines in the air force in the fire service as far as dealing with the trauma what i've seen is what i think what what we all see is uh, we try to avoid it you know we try to avoid the pain you know that's our natural response is to avoid it and unfortunately one of our number one ways to avoid pain is to drown it you know, is to open that bottle or crack that, you know, drink beer or whatever it is, or, or smoke or cigarettes or, you know, something um, to completely distract you from it. But that's, you know, that's the problem. All you're simply doing is moving your awareness away from it. And when you sober up or when whatever you're doing to distract yourself from that is no longer in your face, you're right back on it. Your body knows what it wants. One of the most, I got one of the, and this is a powerful book that everyone needs to read is the body keeps the score. I can't remember the name of the author, but the body keeps the score. And this is where I really got my foundational understanding of trauma and how it's stored and understanding how I work and the things that I can do and should do and do do in order to process trauma. I can't remember the name of the author, but the body keeps the score. It's very powerful, but yeah. And in the fire service, that's exactly what I see. I mean, I work with a lot of guys that, that as soon as they get off work, the first thing, and it's as bad as it sounds, they get home. The first thing they do is cracking a beer for sure. I had a guy give me a call. It was like eight o'clock in the morning. I was just coming off shift and um, he gave me a call. He had been over at my place the night leading up to me coming on shift and um, had a couple drinks, whatever. And he had left a bunch of his beer sitting in my, in my refrigerator. And so he had given me a call. He's like, Hey, you still got that beer in the refrigerator. I was like, well, yeah, of course, you know, da, 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 da. and uh, so he goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come on over there and I'm going to get in. This is a Sunday morning. And I'm, you know, getting ready to go to mass and whatnot. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be there. I got, you know, I got mass at, at 930, whatever. And uh, he goes, that's okay. I'm just going to come over there and, and and drink it right quick. And I'm like, drink it right quick. And so he gets over to the house and um, I, I didn't say anything over the phone. I was like, well, just, you know, he lives in the same complex. I'm in an apartment now. He lives in the same complex as me. And uh, so he came over. He wasn't intoxicated, but I could tell he'd been up all night. And um, I know he, I know he deals with some things anyway. And so him and I just kind of sat and talked and um, I let him, I mean, you're not going to stop him. So uh, I let him do his thing and made sure he made it back to his place. And then, and, and that was it. And that's not the uncommon thing. That's what's unfortunate because a lot of guys that I know, first thing to do is get home and crack the beer or they got a cooler of beer in the back of the truck already ready to, ready to dive into. And it's unfortunate it really is because these are the same guys that are willing to, to die, you know, to come into your house, you know, to, you know, perform whatever type of advanced life support that they need to provide for you or to put a fire out or whatever it is. These are the guys that are willing to give their life for you. Um, and they're, they're giving their life already for the consequences of giving their life to people. You know what I mean? hundred percent. And so it's, it, yeah. And so you have to, the, 
most, and most guys, just like you said, most guys necessarily aren't resistant to it, but they're just not really exposed to it. They're not really exposed to the tools and, and even the, you know, the literature out there to help themselves. Um, I'm not sure why, why that is. Well, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Think about it this way. I mean, first of all, these people you're talking about are heroes one and all. When I called 911 thinking I was having a heart attack, who did I want to show up? Right. A couple of my brothers and sisters showed up in blue and that was great, but I didn't want them in the room. I wanted firefighters in the room. Right. That's who I was. I, I genuinely believed I was having a heart attack. And as soon as they walked in, I was at peace because my wife wasn't going to have to do CPR on me. I was at peace as soon as I saw the firefighters because I knew that they would take care of me and live or die. They were going to do the business. It wasn't going to have to be the wife. Here's the problem, though. You trained to be a paramedic. You didn't mm-hmm. show up and they didn't just like throw you a bag of, a bag of, med, of meds and the, the ability to sit there and intubate people and all this kind of stuff and be like, hey, figure it out. You were trained. You, you were trained to do the job you do. We, none of us were trained to deal with the trauma and the stress. We, we have come a long ways over the, just over the last five to seven years, especially in the police service, I can say. We have come a long ways, but we still are not training our people how to deal with the, the, the trauma and the loss that we experience at the rate that we do. You've learned the things you've learned because you're proactively reading it. They didn't make you right. proactively read how to be a firefighter. They didn't make you proactively read how to be a paramedic. And they didn't make me proactively read how to be a police officer. They, they, they systematically and intentionally trained me you know what I'm saying? Right. And and got me to a spot where I could. And so I think that's the thing is the brain, and I'm not sitting there criticizing bosses. I'm not, because I, I'm talking about this really as a societal issue and maybe a world issue is we really are just starting to understand the power of the brain. We're just starting to understand what's taking place. And the fact that there's a lot of great ways to take care of our brains, to heal them, but we still haven't gotten to the spot of really actively training each other up. I don't know. Those are my thoughts. What do you think? No, I, I, com- I completely agree. And it's only been within the last probably, I'd say, year or so that I really, do- really dove into understanding how the mind works with, and I, I call wheel, the wheel of experience is the model that I call it. And I, what I theorize is that what we experience in life the decisions that we make that cause this experience, those decisions are typically based on emotions. And those emotions are typically driven by thoughts. And those thoughts are driven by our conscious and unconscious beliefs. And so when we have an experience in life that we just don't like, we have a repetitive experience in life that we like a pattern that we don't like. One of the things that I started doing is I started looking at, okay, what is the pattern that I don't like that I'm not enjoying? That's not comfortable. That's not constructive. And then what's the emotion? What's that emotion that I'm feeling when I'm doing that? So if it's if it's anger, if it's frustration, if it's doubt, if it's fear, what is that emotion? And then you take that emotion and you start diving into that emotion and you start basically, I, I do a lot of meditation practices. Um, and meditation for anybody that's not real familiar, it's not sitting there quietly with this whole own, any, no, it's not that. Meditation simply means to become familiar with. That's all it means. So you're thinking deeply into something. And so I look at that emotion and then I start thinking into that emotion. I start thinking about the thoughts that are creating that emotion. And I'll use an example here shortly. And then once I get into the understand what the thoughts are that are creating that emotion, 
I can start looking for, start thinking about into, you know, what, what is it that I believe about myself or what is it that I believe about life or what is it that I believe that's causing me to think this way? And then from there, you can literally start reprogramming those beliefs because if they're not, if they're not producing a life experience that you want to have, then they're not, those thoughts aren't true. I call them a lie. They're, they're a lie. It's just reality because most of what we believe consciously and, and subconsciously, all of that was basically programmed into us by age eight. That's when most of that happened. And then whatever traumatic events we've had since then. And so our body wants to survive. And so these become your unconscious beliefs. And then your body builds these patterns. Are you familiar with neuroplasticity? Have you done any reading on that? Yes. And so neuroplasticity. So basically we're, we're born as babies with all of these neurons and all these, connect, and all these connections. And it's this huge rat nest of, of connections. And what the body's doing as you get older is it's pruning and pruning and pruning. And it's getting rid of more and more connections so they can work more efficiently because it doesn't want to have to work hard to produce. It wants you to stay in autopilot, basically. It doesn't want to have to work. And so it's pruning and pruning and pruning and pruning. And what you're left with, it's called neuroplasticity. What you're left with is these core beliefs, these subconscious beliefs, so that your body doesn't have to work so hard that produce these thoughts, that produce these emotions, that produce these outcomes. And so if you reverse engineer the whole process, you can get to those limiting beliefs and begin to start changing those and spending time mentally working on those and reliving those and recreating those. And so for me, uh, we can go back to the the whole, I want to really make a difference. You know, because some of it has a positive impact outcome, some of it has a negative um, uh, outcome. One of the things that I noticed in my life, as far as this strong desire to to make a difference, the limiting belief when I went through this process was, and you're gonna you're gonna hear this, be like, okay, so that makes sense, but you're also gonna, you're also gonna think, okay, wow, that's unfortunate. Was I don't matter? That's the limiting belief, and I didn't discover this until really, really recently when I started going through, um, going through the divorce and, and a lot of the things that I've, that I've, that I've done in my life and the decisions that I've made, all of that, as I went through a process that I, that I can share in a little while to, to figure out what's going on with me, it revealed a whole lot of trauma that I didn't realize I had. And, and, um, but that, that, that limiting belief I had was, was you don't matter was that, you know, I don't matter. And so my whole life I've been trying to matter. Mm. And so I look back at my, my military career. I was, I was the picture perfect Marine, you know, chiseled everything, 300, you know, PFT or I get expert on the rifle range, everything. Marriage was promoted every single rank. And, and you look back and they're like, wow, that guy was a stellar Marine. No, that guy was a broken guy that was just trying to matter. That's all he was doing. Trying to prove and so then you go into the fire service and you go and it, and it goes and it continue the same thing. That's a broken guy who on the outside looks like a very successful person, but on the inside, he just wants to matter. Mm. And so when this really came to a head, when this really came to a head, I was laying in bed in my apartment alone. I'm a family man. I've always been a family man. I love my children. I love being, I love getting married in the church. I loved it. It gave me being a married a married man with these children, it gave my life real purpose. I worked and I, and I was a family man. That's it. I didn't go play golf. I didn't go, I didn't have a bunch of buddies. I went and played cards. None of that existed for me. I worked and I took care of my family and I did things, everything I could possibly with my kids. That gave me value and meaning. I was laying in bed alone and 
the feeling and the thought that kept going through my mind was if the people that, and whether it's true or not, if the people that I value most and that I love most, if I don't matter to them, then what's the point? And in that moment, that was, I've never, ever been the type of guy that could ever, I couldn't even fathom the idea of suicide. Couldn't even think about it. To me, it was like, I don't understand how anyone could want to harm themselves or hurt themselves or even let alone take their own life. But in that moment, it became an option. I'm not going to say I contemplated killing myself, but something in me clicked and suicide suddenly became an option. And when I realized that, I mean, I just talked about sobbing. I just sobbed and I turned straight to prayer and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I said, Lord, please take this away from me. Take this away from me. I, you know, this was, it's almost like you don't have to touch fire twice to know it's hot. You know, it's hot. I don't, you don't, I don't need to feel it. That's the same thing. Once that, that, that switch gets flipped and, and now suicide becomes an option. One thing I noticed myself is it's always there. I'm not saying I'm going to go kill myself or I want to go kill myself. But what I am saying is that now that option is like a real option. It was never even a realistic even consideration, but now it's just there. And I prayed and I'm not going to say, and I will say this, I'm not going to say that I heard God's voice in that moment. But I do know this. I do know that I was I was in a very, very bad place in that moment. And when I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, I felt the words, you matter to me. And it was literally like a warm blanket being laid on my heart. And mm. all of that tension went away. All of that pain just went away. Um, the tears dried up and I just felt peace in that moment. And I know for a fact, I'm not saying I heard, I heard God speak to me, but God spoke to me in that moment. He took, he answered my prayer in that moment because I was probably at one of my lowest points in life. And I don't remember where we were going with this conversation, but that, <laughs> that's we were, where it went. We were going right there because that's, th th this is the good stuff. And for, for Christians out there, people that believe in the Bible and that, that believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and that that is our, our, our claim to salvation, uh, they believe that the Holy Spirit can speak to us, right? I mean, there are, there are examples of God communicating with us, his people, audibly. I've never heard that. I've never heard God's voice in that sense. But I have had the Holy Spirit speak to me. And mm -hmm. it's one of those things that unless you experience it, uh, it's, it's hard to explain it. Because no, it wasn't audible. Uh, but it was, uh, it was very real. And the comfort that it gave me as I was going through my, uh, my anxiety disorder, I didn't trust myself mm -hmm. because here's the deal. Like you, I, I like what the way you said that I didn't matter that ne that thought never came to my mind, but I think I was doing much of the same stuff. I had to get honor graduate. I had to shoot expert. I had to be able to do more pull-ups or more push-ups or, and when I, I remember failing at one of my tech schools. And when I say fail, I didn't pass a progress check. I walked out in the hallway. I walked back in three minutes later and I passed, but I failed it on the first rep and I had shut down for that weekend. I totally shut down. Like Jamie's like, what's going on? And I'm just like laying on the floor. I, I can't believe I failed. She's like, it's not a big, yes, it's a big deal. And yeah. so I had always been in control. So then when I'm having anxiety attacks that feel like heart attacks and I can't control that, I thought I was losing my mind. I, I thought I was going crazy. What? I mean, if the brain can't, 
right? And so if I go crazy, do I do bad things to other people without even knowing? I mean, literally, that's where my brain was going. And I, I don't know at what point I I had this, this moment where I realized that God's in control. And, and that was my prayer. God, uh, I trust you. I trust that you're not going to let that happen, that you're, you're, yeah. you're in control of, of everything, including me and my brain and the peace and comfort that that gave me. I was still scared of a bunch of stuff to, to work through, but it gave me uh, a whole lot of peace. No, that, and that's perfect. And you summed up your experience, summed up the, the one thing that I, that I've learned you have to do if, if you really want to have some level of peace in life, you know, whether you're a Christian or not, um, if you really want to have some level of peace in your life, there's a certain level or a certain point where you have to essentially surrender. And for most of us guys, the idea of surrender is not an option. Surrender, that's weakness. I don't surrender anything. But if you don't, you're going to find yourself exactly where you found yourself. You, you can't do it. You're going to come across that obstacle, that that incident, that opportunity where, and I call it an opportunity because it's an opportunity for you to surrender, that opportunity for you to really fail before you learn the hard lesson of surrender. And, but once you do learn, just like you said, once you realize that I have to just let it go and God's in control and I'm not, um, once you do learn that lesson of surrender, uh, there's a certain level of peace you can approach pretty much everything with. Because you realize, okay, I'm not going to control the outcome of this. I'm going to give everything that I am to hopefully influence the outcome of what I, what I desire, but I'm not in control of it. And that's, that's perfectly said. Yeah. Hey brother, if you don't, you, you open the door. So if you're willing to talk into this, I mean, you're, you're currently still kind of going through a storm in some regard in reference Mm -hmm. to you're walking with your family, you're walking with your kids through this divorce process this is a common this is a common experience for us as Americans for us as probably people around the world. How do you do that and and how are you walking with your kids through that process and taking care of yourself okay. and taking care of them without giving too much of the of the details of of our scenario you know our our story away right now but so when I decided and I filed for divorce when I decided to file for divorce and I'll just tell you the little bit of that so my daughter was sitting on the side of the barn crying. This is my um, one of my daughters. So that one of my daughters sitting on the side of the barn crying, and I was talking to her, and I was talking about um, you know we had just had an incident in the household, and I was talking to her about broken families, and um, she looked up at me, and eyes are you know full of tears, and she's like, "Daddy, our family is broken," and it was it was in that moment that I realized, okay, I can't continually just patch things and fix things and bandage things i have i have to make a decision i have to make this hard decision um and it wasn't anything i wanted to do events led up to the point where i finally pulled the plug i should i'll say and so i look like the bad guy so that feeling of 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 guilt that feeling of failure that feeling of not being so at the time I was also teaching that same daughter. I was also teaching her religious education class in the Catholic church. We have what's um, it's it's you have baptism as an, as an infant. And then the, the next phase is confirmation is when they're a young teen and they confirm their faith in Christ. And they um, and it's a whole whole class to your class. Well, I was a teacher. I'm a teacher in that process. And I was teaching the class and 
there got a point when we were, once everything was kind of the, the dust had settled and she was still in class and I was still, you know, teaching the class. I felt like the biggest hypocrite, the biggest failure, the biggest, like, who am I to stand up here and talk about faith in Christ and commitment and love and this and that. And I'm going through what I'm doing. And she knows she's intimately aware of what's going on with, with our family. That emotion for me, that guilt and that, that feeling of failure and that feeling of, of not being qualified was the first real trauma that I experienced in after the decision that I made to, to divorce my wife. The challenge in that was to not allow, not allow my kids to see me. They saw me broken. They did. In the very beginning of it, they saw me completely broken. I don't know that they've ever seen me cry. Like I cried that, that, you know, one night, but, um, I knew from that point forward, I, I sought professional help as well. I got a counselor, whatnot. And one of the things that he told me was you, you just have to, you've had, you've got to show them love. And so no matter what, just be the source of love for the, for the children, a source of love for the children. I'm not taking away from my, my soon to be ex because she's, she's, she is a good woman. She really is. And she's a definitely a source of love and she's a great mother. But I was basically reminded that you've got to be a source of love and strength for your kids. And that doesn't mean fake it. That just simply means they can't, they need you to be strong so that they can be weak. Essentially. Um, it's not, that they're going to be weak, but they need to be able to be comfortable enough around you to be vulnerable. Yeah. And so that that's one thing is, is recognizing when it's safe to be completely uh, to let go, when it's safe to sob, when it's safe to talk, who it's safe to talk to. So that's the first thing. And then as we progress through this and I've, and I've, and I've pushed, I've gotten through that, that aspect of it. I know that things happen in life and there's storms and just, and it's just like you said, if bad things happen, bad things are going to happen. And so how we come out of this storm is completely, I'll say completely um, up to me, but it's how I, how I show my children who I am and what this means for us as a family is completely in my control. How they, the meaning they give, they give it is not in my control. And so understanding that, that I'm not going to be able to control their meaning that they attach to this, to this trauma, because ultimately that was the big guilt is I've now created this trauma in my kid's life and I'm guilty for that. Recognizing that I'm not in control of the meaning they give to it, but I am controlling on, on helping them develop meaning to it, not telling them or talking to them about what, you know, what has happened or how they should see it or any of that, but allowing them to just talk and allowing them to, to have a safe place. So there's that aspect. And, and then, I mean, at the end of the day, this is just the new real. And there's no point in sugarcoating it. There's no point in, in, in trying to gloss over it. And so when they ask the real questions or if they ask the real questions, um, being able to have the fortitude to be open and honest without hurting them. And so it's not, it's not, I'm not saying sugarcoat the truth. I'm not saying, you know, obviously tell any white lies, but tell them the truth that they can handle at that age, at the age that they're at. And then if there's a part that you don't feel there, that's appropriate to say, as you get a little bit older, we can talk about that and then help you understand that. Um, so really it's just about being the same parent that you've always been the same dad. For me, it's being the same dad that I always wanted being the dad, you know, that, and I don't know if you know, if you know my history or uh, Billy in my history, but um, no, we didn't really have a dad. There's a man that my mother had married, but there was, there was no father in the picture, put it that way. And so being the dad that we never had. And so still being that guy, you know what I mean? For the kids, um, even if it is 
in a limited amount of time now because of the way divorce happens and, and parenting plans and all that kind of stuff. But, um, still continually, you know, making, making that the priority of, of your life. As far as I'm a father, I may not be a husband anymore, but I am a father. And I think that's really make, you know, ensuring that you, that you commit to that. That's for me, that's what's um, gotten me through a lot of, at least how to deal with them. But as far as dealing with the trauma of it, because it is extremely traumatic, I didn't realize divorce was nearly as traumatic as it, as it, as it is until now, until I've experienced it. So what I've done for myself is leading up to the, to the divorce. So I would say about six months prior to us actually, you know, getting divorced, I felt that I had kind of fallen away from my faith a little bit. I wasn't doing the studies in you know, my Bible. So I wasn't in the Bible as much as I, as I wanted to be. Um, and I was really just felt life just kind of slipping. And, um, and so I know I needed to get grounded again. And, uh, I needed to get back to back in the word and back into doing what I knew I needed to do in order to be, you know, spiritually sound. And I didn't want to do a typical read your Bible in a year, read a verse today, that kind of thing. I wanted something, I wanted something more, transformation because we were definitely experiencing trauma in the family and i know i needed something in order to be strong enough to experience the trauma and um it was prior to divorce and so this the study that i created essentially was it it, it took about a, it took it takes about an hour and a half to do what i do is i start out with just a simple opening prayer um i pick my scripture for the day i start with an opening prayer ask for the presence of the spirit to be to be there and to help me understand the word as i should understand it for the day and I do my reading, read the, read the scripture three times slowly. And I'm reading through it. I'm really paying attention to what it's saying. And then after I've read through it three times slowly, um, I go into a meditation. And I meditate um, I meditate on the passage of scripture using the, the four senses of scripture. And the four senses of scripture are the literal interpretation of what exactly is this saying? Like literally, what is this saying? The allegorical interpretation. What is this saying allegorically? What's the story beneath the story? What is God telling me in this story? Uh, the moral um, implications. What is God saying I should do or shouldn't do? Um, and the last thing is anagogs. But where does this fit into the big picture as far as who we are and creation throughout humanity and then and know as God's children ultimately for, for eternity? Where does this fit into that? Once you've done that meditation and you've gone through that, and you've asked yourself the questions to be able to answer those. And that's simply just sitting in thought. You're just sitting in thought. People, most people walk by and think you're, you're, you know, you're zoned out, not doing it, but you're really actually doing a deep, deep study of what you just read in your mind. Um, and you go straight, in, straight into journaling. You journal your experience. Uh, the last part of the journaling is application. What is it that, how does this apply to what you're experiencing? And no kidding. Every single time, it doesn't really matter what scripture it is. There's always application to whatever you're dealing with for that day. Um, God doesn't fail in that aspect at all. And um, and after you've journaled, what I, I believe that we're not, I don't believe we're here for, for ourselves. I believe we are here for each other. I think that's one of the biggest purposes of, of life is we're here to serve each other. And whether you're a Christian or not, that can, that is still true. We are still here for each other. And so what I do is I have the last thing I do is I do a prayer or the second to last thing I do is a prayer where I commit this to something or someone that's meaningful in that moment. And I pray for that person or, or pray for that event or pray for whatever it is for that morning. And the last thing I do is, is it's called contemplation. I don't know if you've heard, ever heard of Thomas Keating, but he's a, a Catholic friar. Um, I think he's dead now, but uh, he used to teach this thing called the centering prayer. And the centering prayer is basically 
it's it's a way of this is where you sit you you empty your mind per se but really what you're doing is you're learning how to turn and this is awesome for practicing and, and working on dealing with trauma you're practicing turning back to god and so when you sit quietly and allow your mind to empty out and you feel that you will it will happen i don't care how, how often you do this you will always get pulled away by the thought thought comes it distracts you pulls you away the practice is simply noticing it turning away turning away from it turning back to god and so you do this for 10 15 20 minutes practicing turning away from god guess what you're going to start doing in your waking life you're going to get distracted you're going to see it you're going to notice it and then you're going to turn back to if it's God, it's God. If it's not God, if it's just your center, then it's your center. You're going to do this practice and you will find yourself no longer getting pulled away and distracted so easily. You'll find yourself with a little bit more sense of peace in your life and able to actually endure certain traumatic things or, or activities around you. You can actually be in the busy room where a lot of us that have like, you know, a lot of the guys have the PTSD, they can't be in those busy rooms, a lot going on. This one simple practice, just the last step of what I'm what I'm sharing, the contemplation of practicing being distracted, letting it go and turning back, just that one practice done consistently, you'll experience in your real in your wake life, waking life that it's a little easier to be in these rooms, a little easier to be in these tight you know, these chaotic places and be able to have your own center and have some level of peace. This has been the foundation to what's really got me through the really lowest parts of, of where I'm at. And I'm only, you know, five, six months into this, but it, this is, this practice has really pushed me through to, to where I'm at now to where I can actually share it and, and write and journal and, and, and sit here and have a conversation with you about it. Cause honestly, if I didn't have this, that practice, if I didn't have the desire to endure and not just for myself, but it goes back to what I said about here for each other, the desire to endure and come out better on the other end, so that I can share it. Um, if I didn't have that desire, then I'm, I'll be honest, it would probably be a drunk mess in my apartment alone tonight. Costco um, Costco sells it in really big bottles. So, <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, brother, th- I really appreciate you for a few different things that you said there. One, you talking about parenting and how we we give our kids stuff at age appropriate times. I think that is a, is a foundational piece to parenting. To the the honorable way in, in which you spoke about their mother just now, I think that is something that all of us, whether whether we're married, whether we're going through a divorce, whether we're divorced, the idea of honorably speaking about about uh, our our kids' mother, I think, is huge. They're watching. Our kids are watching the way we conduct mm-hmm. ourselves. Our kids are watching the way you're studying your studying your Bible and praying to God. These are things that. Uh, that I think are are some of those. I know that these are the foundational things for me in life, uh, for me to stay grounded, not get carried away with a whole bunch of noise and chaos. So, wow, I, here's here's the beauty. I don't usually say this on the recording portion. The benefit here is I'm going to re-listen to this when I go to edit it, and I know I'm going to get a ton of stuff there, brother. Uh, I mean, just the the you gave us some tools there, some things that that people can pick up. And here's the deal. You don't have to pick up all of it. If people just pick up one of these things, right. And, and, and start taking on the discipline of incorporating that into their life, the change that it could have on their life uh, can just be mind blowing. And I'll say the, the number one tool, if there was, 
if, if there was anything that I wanted somebody to walk away with as a, as a tool that they could start applying to their life right now, because it's the beginning to all of these tools, is simply start paying attention to yourself. Become aware of yourself. Pay attention to your emotions. Pay attention to your thoughts. Just because you think it, it's not true. Pay attention to your actions. Pay attention to the patterns in your life. And really start evaluating yourself and you'll discover that most of what we do and experience in life is habitual and done in autopilot. You'll really begin, especially when you start waking up and paying attention to yourself. That is the first step for any type of any type of growth, any type of changes. You can't change what you can't see. And so you have to be able to pay attention to yourself and see the things that you want to make, you know, you want to modify, the things you want to improve, the things you want to keep. Um, but you, it all starts with just just being aware of yourself. Yes. Hey, Bobby, if people want to follow you and follow just your insights in life, what are the best ways for them to connect with you? Um, I'd say just jump on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook. Um, that's pretty much where I'm at. I had a little TikTok thing for a minute. I got a so it's on pause for now. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I really don't get on there. Facebook is where I'm regularly at. So, Awesome. And that'll be down in the show notes for listeners to find Bobby Clark, faith, father, fitness, and firefighter. That came to me as we've been talking, <laughs> brother. A whole bunch of positive Fs. Uh, time is my greatest commodity. I can't make more of this stuff, brother. Thank you for giving me so much of yours, both in high school and today. And I got to, I got to thank you, brother. You are a, um, definitely a brother in Christ, but, um, I love you and I love what you're doing. You are making a difference, um, in a lot of people's life with, with the gift that you're offering. So you are a brother from another mother, man. I, I love you, man. Love you too. Have a great day. Bye. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, what did you think of my conversation with Bobby Clark? Bobby, thank you again for for coming on and being willing to be so incredibly transparent with what's going on in life right now, what has gone on, and the things that you're doing to take care of your brain and your body. I was really impressed. Hey folks, Jamie and I want to hear from you. How are we doing here on the podcast? Uh, there's a few different ways for you to communicate to us. First and foremost, please follow us on whatever podcast platform you're consuming this on. That will cause the next episode to pop up. You can also rate and review us if you're listening on Apple or Spotify. I think there's some rating options on YouTube as well for the video version. Uh, on Apple and Spotify, there's five stars. We'd really appreciate a five-star rating if, if we've earned five stars, folks. If we haven't, keep your stars. Instead, shoot me an email at chris at gravityct.com. Let us know how to make a better future, marriage, Monday topics, or guests for me to interview. Folks, we only get to live this life once. Let's go out and take care of the people in our tribe. Take care of each other. God bless.